As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. Well, it's post-pandemic. How's your church? For many of us leading in the church world, we're finding that the metrics we used to have just aren't the same they were before the pandemic. Well, today we get to hear from a church growth expert on what it takes to grow a church in a post-pandemic world. This is Simple Faith. You know, as we like to say, following Jesus isn't easy, but it's not complicated. And each week we try to make faith a bit more simple. And sometimes we veer into the leadership lane and talk specifically to those of us leading in churches. For those of you that have been a church leader, if you've been leading for a variety of years, you probably recognize the name Rich Birch. He's written some great books like The Church Growth Flywheel, one of my favorites, and so many others. He has an incredible blog and an incredible podcast called Unseminary. He's just a great guy. He's a, a really good Canadian, too, on top of that. And we sit down to talk about what does church growth look like in a post-pandemic world. Can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Rich Birch. And I want to thank Subsplash for their sponsorship of this podcast. Here we go with my conversation with Rich. Rich Birch, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, Welcome back. And for our listeners that did not catch episode one, which I think there's only four people in the United States that <laughs> did not listen to it. It was so well nice. received. Nice. Um, but no, curious, uh, just to tell our people a little bit about what you do with Unseminary and uh, uh, who you are. Well, thank you so much, Rusty. First of all, it's super honored to ha- that you would have me on your podcast. And the fact that you'd have me back, that's amazing. You know, that's that's great. So I I'm honored to get a chance to spend some time with you and and just love the work that you're up to in, in your ministry. And so, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a church leadership wonk. I love talking to church leaders. I love um, leading in the local church. I've had a, a kind of a unique background over 25 plus years, um, led really in that second seat. So have a real passion for executive pastor types. And a number of years ago, we started a blog and a podcast called on seminary, which was really trying to tackle the things that they don't teach you in seminary. And so trying to share and disseminate that information, we're 800 and some odd episodes in on that, that podcast, which is crazy. Uh, I didn't know if I'd get beyond my first five. And so the fact that we're still at it is pretty amazing. You've been an incredible guest uh, on that. So yeah, I'm married, got two uh, young adult kids and one dog that we keep trying to figure out why she's whining so much. So that's kind of my, uh, you know, my life in a nutshell. I am Canadian. Don't hold it against me. I've, and I'm one of those people that have ministered on both sides of the border. So um, wow. I've worked for years in Canada and also in the States. And so, um, which provides kind of an interesting, you know, vantage point to think about what we do. So what part of the States were you in? I was at a church in New Jersey called Liquid Church for years, for oh, yeah. a better part of eight years with Tim Lucas there um, on the senior leadership team. And um, yeah, which was a fantastic, that is a great church. Tim's a great guy, mm-hmm. um, really count him as a friend. Uh, and they're doing just great things there in New Jersey and was honored to be there. So that's in the Manhattan facing suburbs of New Jersey. One of those parts of the country where people do not wake up, uh, like your part of the country, where people don't wake up on Sunday morning and think, hmm, we should go to church today. They just don't. That's not on the list of things that people decide they should do so it's always fun you know serving in those contexts right oh that's great yeah i've heard great things about liquid church okay so mm-hmm. i love your podcast love all the things that you share and i love how practical it is uh nothing worse mm. than spending two hours listening to a podcast and all you got <laughs> was you know more information but not any help so i love what you guys do uh, you know being in canada 
as our friend Carrie likes to say, Canada's kind of the canary in the cave or the canary in the mine, however you want to say it, mm -hmm. that dictates what the rest of the world's about to experience. So first England, then Canada, then America, mm -hmm. when it comes to just the church and how we're receiving the, the gospel. And, and like you said, not everybody wakes up on Sunday morning and thinks, let's go to church. So what are you seeing when it comes to you know these two groups of people we often talk about how to reach, unchurched people and de-churched people? It seems like where I live, there's always been a lot of unchurched people, but now there's becoming an increasingly greater amount of de-churched who have just said, yeah, I'm done with that. What are you seeing? Yeah, that's very true. So in our part of the world, it's low single-digit percentage of people, maybe 3 4%. It's hard to find good numbers of folks that attend church regularly. And so it, it is, um, you know, we are, we do live in an increasingly um, unchurched or de-churched uh, you know, population. You know, the interesting thing about Canada is, is that, it, you know, we probably are, I don't know, maybe 30 years ahead. If that's ahead, I don't know what that is or behind, depending on the way you look at the numbers. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, it is as simple as that people, there isn't this underlying guilt that like you should attend church. It's, you know, it's like saying, you, you know, if you don't like, you know, it's like saying, Hey, you should go to a mosque. Well, why would you go to a mosque? You have no reason to go to a mosque. You're not Muslim. So why would you go there? Or, you know, you should go to the synagogue. It's, it's a whole category of, of questions or a whole category of activities that people just don't think about. Now, the interesting thing is I do think in some ways, that creates new opportunities and better opportunities for the local church. I talk to friends who minister in areas of the country that are are um, you know that, that are still pretty you know traditionally churched areas, and that's a whole different problem because in that part of the country, it's like yeah, everybody might go to church, but does it mean anything? Does it have any kind of connection? And so one of the things that I actually like about here, or, you know, I was in England a couple of weeks ago, I was saying the same thing to a pastor there, man, like everybody who shows up on a Sunday, like they're here for a reason. Like they're, they're not just stumbling in. They've got like a real question that they're asking, they're wrestling with, they're, they're showing up and thinking, hmm, I, you know, I, I'm looking for a, an answer, which I do think actually in some ways makes what we do a little simpler, a little, a little more straightforward because people are coming, you know, eyes wide open. And I think that is, I think that's true. I think while people attend church less, I do think that the, um, kind of spiritual intensity is as hot as it has ever been. People are looking for answers. I think in some ways in our culture, you know, because we've kind of gone to the complete other side of secular humanism, where it's like people realize maybe that doesn't actually work. Like I, mm. there has to be some sort of connection. There's got to be something bigger than this. And, you know, it might be, uh, you know, they're putting all kinds of things in that God-shaped hole as we would see it. Uh, but there isn't a debate of whether that's, you know, whether there's something that is bigger than us. And and so um, I, I do think it, it is creates a unique opportunity for us. But we do have to think about it clearly. We don't, we, we have to think about our assumptions. We have to think about the assumptions of the people that we're talking with. We have to think about how we communicate and hmm. we have to slow down and re-explain things again. Things as simple, you know, our mutual friend, Carrie Newhoff, does a very good job at this. At, you know, every time we open the Bible, it's like we can't just assume that anyone here cares about it and so or really even knows anything about it and so you've got to slow down re-explain terms take time to um you know to t to help people understand to kind of bring them into the story mm -hmm. oh that's so good I, I love what you said i never thought about it this way we tend to view it as okay secular humanism and then we see all these movies and tv shows like everything from stranger things to the endless supply of movies about people being, you know, having exorcisms mm -hmm. um, as, as the culture's craving spirituality, but it's not that they're returning. They've just got to the other side of secular humanism, found it wanting, and now they're into spirituality, mm -hmm. but not necessarily connected to God, Jesus, or the church as we knew it before. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a perfect example of that. There was a time where, and I'm sure, Rusty, I know this was never your ministry, um, but we knew churches like this, that um, it was almost like a bait and switch around how we talked about Jesus. Like we would say, and it would never, I'm using it hyperbole, just extreme examples to kind of prove a point. You know, we would say like, come this weekend, we've got this big show and it would be like great music and great whatever. And then we would kind of slip Jesus into that, that we would, you know, we would, we would hope that kind of attached to the funny comedy that we ran on Sunday morning or attached to the music that we used that people would kind of 
hear about Jesus. And again, that's a, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a strategy, but there was that idea. Now I've found a, serving in a really in a post-Christian context, people appreciate, unchurched people appreciate when we're just really upfront with, this is what we're talking about here. We, we Here at our church, we talk about the Bible and here are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about. An example of this would be even in our kids ministry. Um, you know, there was a time where people would show up to our kids ministry. We're like, I really have no idea what they're teaching over there. What is happening back in kids ministry? But I found that unchurched folks, they want to know what, what, what are you teaching my kids? What are the, what are the Bible verses that you're using? What are, what's the bottom lines? What are you talking about? And even if they don't believe it, even if they're like, ah, that doesn't really mean anything to me, but I'm thankful that you're going out of the way to try to communicate to me in a way that honors me. That's like, okay, um, you know, we're not trying to bait and switch. I'm not trying to, you know, trick you into anything or trick your kids into anything. In that case, hmm. uh, I want to just be really upfront with you. And so for us, we go out of our way to communicate. Here's exactly the Bible verses and the kids sticking with the kids example. Here's exactly the Bible verses we're teaching. This is exactly what the bottom line is. This is exactly what the take home is. This is what we're hoping your kids will do different when they go home. Unchurched people love that. They respond really well to that because they're like, oh, wow, that's, I appreciate that. I appreciate you're treating me like an adult, <laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that drew me uh, to California was the uh, spiritual openness to things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, listen, we'll try anything once, just uh, shoot straight with us. What is it? Yes. And there wasn't really this need to uh, bait and switch people and, oh, by the way, Jesus does this for you. Yes. It's a, here, here's what Jesus says, and uh, they'll, they'll take it or leave it. Well, and I found even, you know, related. So again, I, I'm unabashedly, my, most of my experience has been in what has been called the attractional church movement. Now, don't yep. get me started. Yep. I think every church is attractional. Some are just better at it than others. Um, but, you know, so don't get me, you know, down that road. But, you know, there was a time where the kind of standard practice in the attractional church mo- movement was at the end of our services, you think about it, what would happen is we would, it would all usually end with the, whatever the teaching was. And basically the, the, the implicit or explicit message was there's some interesting ideas, go and think about it. Like take those ideas and go, you know, and, and leave and chew on it where that's really shifted. You know, we end our services typically with some sort of prayer experience, some sort of like, Hey, you've got an opportunity to come forward right now. And, you know, and someone will pray for you or help you think through, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if God's kind of, you know, done something impacted you today. Um, and you know, just, I don't know, it was probably two months ago. I was talking to a person who would, they would identify that they're not a Christian. They're kind of on this journey, trying to figure it out. And they were talking about this in our services. They were like, well, this weekend when they, when they said, Hey, we should come to the front. They were like, I, they said, I have this like burning desire. I need someone to pray for me. I I really want to, and she's like, I've never had anyone pray for me in my entire life. What a unique experience. What an interesting, now to me, I think that's great. That's moving in the right direction. That's, that's, that's helping her, you know, now she's early in a journey. She's still wrestling with what it means to, to mean Jesus, to, to follow Jesus. But that's a shift in the way we deal with unchurched people where before we were almost a little bit scared, if I'm honest, our kind of standard practice was we were a little bit scared to go there, but we've seen that change and shift over time. That's not just in our context, but we're seeing that across the country as well as you know, churches are saying, hey, as a part of us trying to relate to people's needs, we have to actually give them you know, some sort of experience, some sort of encounter with God uh, when they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I happen to be from a tradition where we do communion every week. Yeah, and and I've found that to be that experiential moment where yes, hey, after a message, we can do communion. We can have a prayer moment. There can be prayer down front, uh, but it really does create that moment. And because we deal with such a high Catholic population, that they grew up Catholic, then they ran away, and now they've come back to some sort of church. Just they feel like this is a you know <laughs> meeting their needs a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. They uh, they love that communion moment. In fact. In, in the age of attractional ministry, I remember thinking, should we get rid of communion every week because it's such an insider experience? And the overwhelming feedback was, no, we, we no, want that, absolutely. that moment to connect with the divine rather than just watch you teach to us. So it is... Well, exactly. Well, and I think that you know this, that as, you know, as great teaching, as communication, as TED Talks become more and more available online, um, we need to offer something that's more than that, right? And and it's it's not just uh, people. Again, I think seekers have sh- shifted and changed, or what we used to call seekers or unchurched people. They've shifted and changed, where you know they're looking for an encounter. Ultimately, they're trying to come to Jesus. And you know, which I think is again a step in the right direction. I would hate people to come to our churches, as my friend Carrie says, to 
quoting Kerry twice in one podcast. I'd hate for them to come to our church and only find us, right? We don't want them to just show up and all they get is us, right? We ultimately right. want to point them to Jesus and how how can we do that? And I love that. The same with a high, um, you know, a high uh, value on or um, focus on adult baptism is the same kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which which your movement is it would be similar in that that it's like, hey, that is. Man, if you can get people to get in a tub and get wet in front of other people, man, that's an empo- powerful, powerful symbol for folks and does draw people in, right? You're like, what is happening in that person's life that they would stand up in front of everybody, say a few things about their faith, and then that person's going to dunk them under the water? Wow, that's amazing. It's almost like the New Testament is real. Right. You know, it's almost <laughs> like it's almost like wow, you know, Cal surprise. Uh what a surprise, you know, like the believe and be baptized. What a what an incredible uh symbol for people to for for us to help people engage with. Oh, so well said. And to quote Carrie one more time, how do we create more download, non-downloadable experiences? And yes. that is what's going on in the room when we do baptisms, when we do communion, is they're, yeah. they're, they're getting this experience with something, even if they don't believe it, they sure appreciate that we do, and they'd like to think, maybe I could as well. Right. Um, I love that. I think that, okay, so this, this begs the question, should, and this is an ongoing debate with everybody, should messages get shorter then, mm. so that there can be space for more experiential moments, whether that's worship or communion? Union or baptisms or prayer, um, you know. I, I think I heard somebody on a podcast say it's not that uh, our attention spans are shrinking; it's just that we're getting better at listening, mm. uh, meaning consuming content at a shorter amount for a greater rate. Now our minds are quick enough; we can say, "Okay, move on. I got it." Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. can we teach more, or should we teach less? What, what's your thinking on that? Great question. That's a great question. So, I. So this comes from a person who's not a primary communicator. So, cause you're going to say this guy's, you know, he might be the answer I give you. You're like, of course, he's going to say you should teach more uh, because he likes communicating because he is a communicator. That's not my primary role. That hasn't been my primary role, but I, I value that part of what we do so high. In fact, I think most churches don't value it enough. Like mm. the vast majority, they do not spend enough time, effort and energy. There was a study done by, uh, pre, this is a pre pandemic study, but just before the pandemic from our friends at Gallup, where they asked, you know, why they asked people who attended religious services. This wasn't just churches. It was also, it wasn't just Christian churches. It was, it was also other, you know, religious movements. They said, why do you attend? And two thirds of, or sorry, three quarters of the reason why people said they attended was because of the message, because of mm-hmm. what was being said. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the other elements. It's actually the, 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 the that part of the message, that part of the service, the, the message super important. And then they asked a follow-up question. They're like, what are you looking for in the message? And the two things that came out, again, three quarters, they were like 1% difference on both of these. One was it needs to, the message needs to be based on the Bible or based on scripture. It needs to, needs to be based on a transcendent truth, not just, not just, and man, we've seen this too much, right? It's just because it rhymes does not mean it's true. You know, it's like, it needs to be actually based on scripture. And then number two is it needs to be applicable to daily life. And it, and so friends, the good thing about this is you already know this. They taught you this in seminary. This thing is true. You should you should teach from the Bible. You should open up the Bible, teach from the Bible and give them something that's applicable to everyday life. What what the stats show is that's what people are actually looking for. So, mm. and I, you know, in my work on church growth, I man, I hammer this all the time with um, you know, with the difference between stagnant and growing churches is that growing churches train, mobilize, and equip their people to invite their friends. And what they typically are inviting them to is whatever you're talking about as a church. And, and that, so it's, it's, so mm-hmm. should it be short? Should it be long? I would say that's not a dog I have in that fight. Now we just did a study actually as a part of this group that I'm, that I lead where we looked at, um, 20 messages from, uh, the fastest growing churches between the ages uh, between the sizes, sorry, of a thousand and 5,000. And the average message length continues to be over 30 minutes. It was like 33, 34 minutes wow. in, in, in length. And that's in the last year based on, and we looked at their most popular message based on YouTube downloads. 
Um, so we're still seeing long messages. I, I can you know, I think it's a little bit like stand-up comedy. Um, if someone's no good, they, they can do stand-up for about five minutes. If they're amazing, they can hold an auditorium, a stadium for an hour and a half. You know, I, I think it really depends. It depends on the text. It depends on the communicator. It depends on the time of the year. I, you know, I, I, like the, I think there's a sweet spot somewhere in the 25 to 35 minute range. I think mm -hmm. in, in that length, a, a decent communicator can actually open up the text, can actually, you know, create some tension and actually resolve it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's difficult. We all saw this during COVID, right? Right. It's so difficult to do that in 12 minutes, 15 minutes. It's possible, but it's very difficult to do that in, uh, in that time frame. Yeah. What, where, how long do you teach? What is your, what's your thought on that? You more yeah. qualified to answer that than me. You actually do that on a regular basis. I, I find in order to get done what I need to get done, engage people, teach people, and then apply to people, it takes around 30 minutes. Uh, yep. I, there's been some weekends it's felt like, man, I got so much I've got to say about this because it's such a controversial right. issue. It's going to go 40 and I tell the worship team, hey, just FYI. Or there, you know, post-COVID, I got used to teaching for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. It felt like devotionals all the time right. that uh, I kind of had to, you know, get the reps back in to, to get that back up there to 30 minutes. So mm -hmm. for me, it just seems like, I mean, at, at my age, you know, I'm 50 now, I, or mm -hmm. 50 plus, I should say, uh, it's like, I don't know if it's going to change. It's 30 minutes. So uh, right. maybe, maybe this next generation will crack the code a little better than me. Uh, but that just seems like where I am with it. Yeah, and I would look at again. So, as a from a church growth point of view, from a communications point of view, I would work backwards from okay, what is the sweet spot that our communicator both they you know they think that they're in, and then also that's kind of affirmed in community that people are like, yeah, yeah, no, that that person should go 30, 35 minutes, and then we should look at everything else and say, okay, how do we? trim all of that other stuff and that's coming from a person who was responsible for for organizing all the other stuff that's coming from the person that managed the music people and managed announcements and managed everything that wasn't teaching because it's frankly friends it's just not as important it isn't it does not rank as high in our people's or in even more importantly their friends uh in the value in our in our services i know that's hard to say i know that's that's tough to say but it's just true that works out uh time and again that that portion is just so critically important okay so as somebody who oversees that area uh with the other stuff mm -hmm. and you work with worship leaders mm -hmm. what do you say to a worship leader that decides it's time for he or her to preach as well <laughs> and you know what i mean well yeah so we just i just have a joke about it i i so and i so i've attacked this i've had this in the past and i you know the joke i've joked about is i'm like listen uh preachers they won't sing so please singers don't preach like and you know so if i was at your church i'd be like listen we don't want rusty singing believe me we do not want <laughs> that's true um in fact actually i have a running gag with tim lucas who he could still ch cash in on this i was like tim i'd love for you one sunday to actually break out in song and i'll give you a hundred bucks if you do it that would be that would be amazing just as a kind of a, a funny joke and it's, i said it stands stands as long he has not done that you know whatever 15 years later he still hasn't you know pulled that trigger but yeah so there's the kind of joking side of it which is hey we, we're, we're not asking you to you know we're not asking you to speak in the same way that we're not asking rusty to sing um so please you know keep that down um, some of that comes with coaching and, and, and you've got to get relationship. You have to build relationship with those people to the point where it's like, you know, you have to have some tough conversations and, and say like this, actually what you're doing right now is undoing it. I've seen that way more with campus pastors in a multi-site context than with worship leaders Yes, where, or at the end of the, and this, this, I will attack even with somebody I don't know very well, I'll attack it. I'll be like, listen, Rusty preached everything you need to preach. Please do not get up and re-preach the message. I know you've got thoughts on it. I know that you, you know, because you're an engaged, intelligent, love you love Jesus too, and you're a good communicator, probably. You, you could do this, probably. Um, but we're asking you to not do that. Please don't, because I've seen that way too many times. It's like at the end of the message, yep. you know, he's, what that person's supposed to do is they're supposed to exit everybody, just say, thanks for coming. And then they go up and say, you know, today when Rusty said, and then they, you know, they, they lay out another three points and you're like, that's not helpful. That is not, unless we're asking you to do that, um, which we have done in the past where we'll say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have, we're going to have Rusty set up the first two thirds. He's going to set up the, the tension. He's going to, 
but then we're going to give you the application. And so, you know, here's Rust. He's going to hand it off to you deliberately say, okay, hey, um, we're going to hand off to our campus pastors and they've, they've got some stuff that they would love to help us wrestle through. And then they're, they're dealing with the application stuff, which we ask them to talk about from their own perspective and say, hey, this is this is how this thing that we're talking about, this is how this interacts in my life, and and I think this is how this could interact in your life. But um, that the those I do think, so the thing I would say, why am I, with worship people, I'm probably a little more tender just because they're tender souls. They're, yes. And, and we got to walk with them over an extended period of time. There's, I know it's super personal, and that's fine. Like, that's good. We actually like that. That's a good thing. But um, with campus pastors, I found they can they can take a little more direct, you know. Um, let's just attack this. Um, and and I frankly I found there's more offenders that are campus pastors than there are worship leaders. I think most worship leaders get that they understand. Like, okay, I understand that I can't. I'm just not going to repreach this thing. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, campus pastors are often uh, looking for that moment to to communicate. You know, they don't get it that yeah. often. So when they get yeah. that shot, here it comes. So let's re-preach the message. Yeah. Okay, so while, while we're picking on uh, uh, various uh, people on staff, um, <laughs> I know that you have done some great work on helping uh, lead pastors and executive pastors communicate better. Mm. I was going to say get along, but it's, it's deeper than that. Because <laughs> I think they're both often right. They just miss the communication part with each other. What have you seen there? How can you help some of our listeners that are trying to, because I get this question a lot of, hey, I got this XP, he does a really good job, or she's really great, but mm -hmm. we just don't really see eye to eye. I just feel like we're just two mm -hmm. different people. And, and then you get the guy that says, I just want to hire my best friend, and they don't do a great job. So, you know, yeah. w w what do you see there, and what have you talked to people about? Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry, subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. Yeah, there's a ton that we could unpack there. And I do a lot of, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of executive pastors on my list. I hear from them a lot. Um, whenever I'm out coaching, if I'm doing on-site coaching with a church, even if we're, you know, we're not talking explicitly about the XP lead pastor relationship or working on church growth or whatever, it's pretty common for, you know, at one point to get pulled aside by the lead pastor and the lead pastor says exactly what you're saying. Hey man, I just love my executive pastor. So good there. He or she are just so good at executing and they rattle off a whole bunch of good things and they say, but can you help me get the relationship how do I make that a better relationship or vice versa? An XP will pull me aside and say, man, I love my lead pastor. He or she are just so like great at vision and so a good, a good preacher and all that. But can you help me understand how to do that relationship? So I, I do think the, I, I think the two things I would say, one, you probably in that relationship need to have maybe annually, you need to have a define the relationship conversation. Hmm. And I would put this on, the executive pastor. I would say, hey, you know, once a year, ask your lead pastor, like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Like, mm -hmm. is this helping or hurting? How can I serve you better? Um, how can I serve the mission better? I think, you know, once a year, at least, you know, having that, uh, oftentimes, you know, my, my experience has been that, um, you know, lead pastors, they may not come to that. It might take them a lot to kind of work up to want to have that conversation for a bunch of reasons. And so I would put that on XPs to say, hey, you know, once a year, put it in your calendar, have a like, have a let's define this relationship. How's it going? How's it working out? And then I think the other the other part of it is you you hit on exactly the tension that when you're having this define the relationship, you need to get clarity on what is your lead pastor, I would say from the executive pastor seat, what is the lead pastor actually looking for? Are they looking for another friend or are they looking for somebody to execute? Are they are they looking for someone to to just take this, these balls and run with it? And you've got to get clear on, on what that looks like and what they say might not actually be what they need. Like it's a nuanced thing. It's like, it takes a long time to kind of figure that out. Yeah. You know, I, I, the, I worked, have worked for three incredible lead pastors in this kind of number two seat, incredible guys. Oh, the, the three, those three happen to be guys. And, um, our relationships were all a little bit different, but I never, ironically, I never 
personally never was like, I need to be this person's best friend. We need to be like hanging out, going fishing every weekend. I, I didn't put that, that kind of weight on the relationship. I'm like, we're great coworkers. I'm, I'm happy to draw swords with this person and, you know, I'll run through a wall for them, but like, we don't need to be best buds. Like we don't do now. Ironically, those people, and I, we talked about Tim, ironically, those have become very close, fruitful friendships. There are people who to this day, if they texted me, I would do whatever they want me to do because they're great people. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't load it up with that kind of relationship on the front end um, because I, th I think that could be problematic. I probably, the only thing, and I, um, you and I were talking this a little bit briefly earlier, I was on another conversation with our friend, Sean Morgan, and probably the one area where I would get super definitive on is the co-leading thing where it's kind of presented as these are like, two people like it's it's a two-headed hydra kind of thing i'm super suspicious of those leadership models like I, I as and i will say that as a senior leader with like i got lots of capacity i can lead lots of stuff i don't have a problem making decisions but i think ultimately i think god has called a, a person to be the lead pastor of your church and so um if you're structured like that I would be cautious on that because I've seen that go sideways more times than than not. It can work out, mm -hmm. but I have seen it go sideways a bunch of times. You know, at, at Liquid, it was funny because Tim would talk like that publicly. There was we had a four part leadership team, and he would talk publicly. He would be like, "Well, we're this, we're in this all together, and we're the four of us are a team leading the church." And like he would he would use that kind of language, and then internally, you know, the three of us were joking. We're like, "Yeah, that's fine. You can say that, Tim, but like we report to you. Like that's yeah, you know." That, that, that's this how this works and and sure there aren't really lots of times where we're where it gets into this like power dynamic thing where it's like well you got to do this because i work for, you know you work for me of course we're all like senior leaders of course we don't that's not really how we operate it's not brokered like that but at the end of the day you're the lead pastor you're the one that god's called to lead this thing and and i do think that's different than any other role um it's, it doesn't really have a parallel you know in the church so I don't know. You know, that, that brings up something that I, I get asked about a lot is, okay, should I have one XP or should I have right. two? And the common thing is to have somebody over ministry and somebody over operations, or should I have three and a third person over all the worship and programming? Yep. And obviously you are a part of that at Liquid. Yep. I always tell people it depends on your personality. You know, do you want, you know, a, you know, a, a partnership like, you know, you're playing doubles and tennis or do you want to play golf with, you know, four on, on the course? So, mm -hmm. I mean, is, is there a point where, okay, now you've got too many direct reports or, you know what, you really should just do one thing and let the other, let have one XP that just, you know, knows where all the bodies are buried, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what what's your advice to guys on this? Yeah, so I would say... Um, it depends, which is not a very helpful answer. <laughs> uh, so we do see lots of times churches are, you know, when they're approaching or at a thousand in size that they are adding an XP in. And the functional thing that often goes is happening there is, um, you know, teaching, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, teaching and vision are, are they just takes time. It's not, it takes a lot of time, effort and energy. And I can argue it at any phase of a, of a lead pastor's life early on. It's like, it takes a lot of time because you takes more time to prep later. It takes a lot of time because you've said everything you're ever going to say on these topics. And so it takes longer. Like you, you know, you've already preached through the whole Bible eight times. And so now you're like, Oh gosh, I got to come up with another Easter message. What am I going to say? Or another mother's day message or Christmas or whatever, whatever is coming up. Like that takes longer. And so typically we see it at a thousand. Now, lots of churches have ended up in that, that kind of three headed thing where it's like a lead pastor with two executive pastors. I, we see that lots of times, very common where you have like somebody essentially over programming and then somebody over kind of the business operations or ministry and the kind of business operations. And I do think there's some wisdom to that rather than the the lead pastor has one direct report and then that one direct report, the executive pastor, everyone else reports to that person. I think particularly as the church gets above 2000, you know, once you end up with 30, 40 staff, you know, it, it becomes more difficult to have that all go through one person. You've just downloaded the problem of too many direct reports to another person, which granted they do have more time because they're not preaching on the weekend typically. Um, but I, you know, I do think it's, I do think that there's some wisdom in the kind of the three or four, uh, configuration. We see three lots of times. And I do think that's a, that's a good place. Now, if you're thinking about that long-term, 
you know, let's say you have one executive pastor now, and maybe you're still holding on to some direct reports as a lead pastor, mm. you know, it'd be good in one of those to find the relationship conversation to talk about, hey, what is this going to look like long term? What is that, you know, you know, these, these, if you're holding on to some direct reports, let's say you're a church of 1500 people, and maybe you're holding on to all the programming stuff, you're holding on to all the Sunday stuff, because that's so connected to your teaching, that's fine. You know, you, you probably want to start getting that in the dialogue, like, hey, I could see you long term over the kind of business operations, if that person is more that way, or over more of the, you know, the ministry operations. What do you think about that? Let's talk about what that, you know, what that looks like before we kind of get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's a best practice. I do think, um, you know, the irony of most executive pastor roles is they really are built around the lead pastor. Like they're like, what is the stuff that the lead pastor a doesn't either doesn't want to do or doesn't feel like they're competent in. And so then we kind of fill that in with other senior leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's pretty typical. So that's good. I want to ask you about inviting people to church. You've done a lot of work on this. You got great stuff out there about this. What does the invite culture look like now versus pre pandemic? Mm. Has it changed? Are people inviting people less? Is it just more digital? You know, check out my church online. Um, is it more, hey, I just post something on Facebook and call that inviting people? Uh, wh- what are you seeing right now when it comes to, are people inviting others to church? Great question. Well, you know, I know this was this was a, a reality all across the country. It looked different at different times during the pandemic. Yep. But there was some places it was like three weeks, some it was like three months, some it was like a year. There was... a and a a protracted amount of time where inviting a friend to come to church felt like what you were saying was you should come and catch a disease. (laughs) Like (laughs) it had that kind of, and so people got out of the habit of doing it, right? They, because it felt like, you know, because there was so much public stuff around. And again, I realized it was not, it wasn't like this everywhere, but there was some version of that. And so we went you know, maybe a year, maybe six months, maybe 18 months where we weren't, we weren't actively moving our people to do that. And so I think first we have to understand that that context is, is real. What we're seeing is, you know, the fastest growing churches, churches that are reaching people today, train, equip, and motivate their people to invite their friends. It is not left to chance. They're not like, Hey, we just happened to do something. You know, we, they're like, no, no, we're thinking about the series that we're rolling out. We're thinking about the tools that we're putting in their hands. We're giving them both digital and physical tools. We're thinking about every big day, Christmas, Easter, you know, the start of school, the start of the new year. We're thinking about that backwards from, okay, how do we make invite tools? We're, we're doing stuff before where we used to like, hey, we're going to have like a photo booth for Mother's Day. We're going to tell people that ahead of time and say, hey, invite your friends. Um, you know, we, before, you know, pre-pandemic, it was a best practice pre-pandemic before for big days to um, to show, not just tell people about your services. So it was like, hey, coming up, like, you know, let's say we're, you know, we're planning for, um, you know, a, a Mother's Day service. Like, hey, coming up on Mother's Day, we've got a great message for moms. We're going to be giving them all carnations. We're going to have, you know, an all-female worship band, whatever your special stuff is that you're doing for, for mothers on that day. You want to actually tell your people exactly what it what they're what's happening in those experiences, and you want to frame them mm. not from your perspective, not why your people will like it, but you know, please invite your friends because a this is what the message is about. This is the kind of person that you know would love to hear that. Or b you know you want to invite your mom because you know we're going to give her flowers on that day, so you don't have to buy her flowers. Or you know c we're going to do photo booths because we love getting pictures taken with your mom, and your mom would love that. Um, it's it's going those extra steps to think about it from our um, you know from our guest perspective. So absolutely, we're seeing um, the churches that are growing. We're seeing an increased concentration thinking about invite culture. Ironically a decreased uh, time, effort, and energy spent on what we used to call church marketing, which is like outbound, distant, like Facebook ads, you know, TV ads, that kind of stuff, like flyer drops, all those kind of things. There's definitely a decrease in that post-pandemic and an increase in, again, in the churches that are growing, we're we're seeing that. And and this is just what happens. This this was true pre- pre-pandemic that growing churches were motivating, were equipping, were figuring out how to increase their invite culture, but it's become even more important and acknowledge that, hey, at some point we stopped actually doing that because of, 
you know, it was weird at one point during the pandemic in our right. communities. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it is interesting. I mean, as a lead guy, you think, well, I said that three years ago. They should know. They should be doing yes. that. But it just takes a regular <laughs> cadence of talking about it. And one of the things I've learned from a great lead pastor by the name of Gene Apple, who's been on the podcast a few times, mm -hmm. is he not only talks about it, he tells stories of the people he's inviting. Yes. Uh, and, and even asks the church to pray for so-and-so because he's inviting them. Um, but it kind of makes it a, it's an all skate. We're all in on this and we're all, we've all got a list of four or five people we'd love to see come to know the love of Jesus. So let's invite them. And, and it really does change the evangelism culture. Yeah. We, and we talk about that train, equip, and motivate. So train, it's like, you got to teach on it. You got to, you mm -hmm. know, when you come up to those passages in scriptures, you got to say, Hey, this is, this is how we reach the community. This is what it looks like. You got to equip them. You got to give them tools. You have to give them, you know, here's stuff they can download. Here's invites they can give away. Here's whatever. And here's the information. That's another part of the equipping. And then motivate is exactly what you're talking about there. It's the stories. It's the, it's, it's pushing in your testimony videos to say, okay, who invited you first to come to the church? What did that actually look like? Mm. Let's talk about what that was. It's, it's, um, you know, it's retelling again, the stories of, you know, people who have, who have taken steps closer to Jesus. That's a part of that mode. You can't just do one of those. You got to do all of them. You got to train, equip and motivate, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, your people to, to, to be equipping their, you know, to, or to increase the invite culture for sure. That's great. Okay. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, you've written several books. My favorite is The Church Growth Flywheel because it's just five practical things every church can do that just keeps momentum going. Mm -hmm. uh, you wrote that several years ago. What would you change mm -hmm. now with that in the rearview mirror a few years? Would you tweak anything, certainly post-pandemic or just the world we're living in? Mm -hmm. What would be different today? Yeah, great question. So uh, kind of apropos, because I am actually working on a book that is kind of like Church Growth Flywheel uh, re, re looked at. Um, and there is, I would say, so there are these five different things we talked about in there. We don't need to get into all five of them, but the one that I would swap out is there was this kind of part. One of the five things was about like getting the right message to the right people at the right time, talking about internal communications. And, hmm. and while I think that's really important, um, I think a part of what we missed there was a focus, particularly on building the volunteer culture from a church growth point of view. Hmm. Um, one of the things that we've seen is um, if you can move people from not serving to serving, those people become a lot more likely to invite their friends. That the the amount of change that happens in their life for when you cast vision to them and like, if they're like, yeah, yeah, I used to not volunteer, now I do. Mm -hmm. That actually that move and then it also... Um, a part of the core idea behind, you know, it's all this invite culture stuff is a part of what's behind Church Growth Flywheel. And one of the things that we realize is, and we've seen, um, and this is for sure true post-pandemic, is when people make a change in their own personal life, when they're like, okay, now I'm now I'm volunteering at my church, that becomes a whole bunch of trickle-down conversations with other people at work at, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm volunteering at this thing at my church. Or, you know, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. Your mom asks you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm volunteering at church. And so, and then there's this interesting rule of thumb that we keep running into, which is uh, typically churches are, uh, you know, typically you are, there's a three to one ratio between uh, the number of people serving or a one to three ratio, the number of people serving and the size of your church. So if your church is 3,000 people, typically a church of 3,000 people, they have 1,000 people that are volunteering. Now, lots of church leaders, too many church leaders live in the world where they're like, well, we will add more when we grow, we will add more volunteers. But actually, that's not the case. That's It's the other way around. As we add more volunteers, that is a preceding number. That's a, a leading indicator of growth that's about to come. So one of the ways to go to your church is if you're, again, get back to that number, the 1,000 to 3,000, is, hey, what could we do to add 250 volunteers in the next year? Because if we could add 250 volunteers in this, this next year, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to grow by 750. Your church is going to grow from, yeah, you're going to grow by 750 people. It's almost guaranteed. This is the the dynamic behind the multi-site church movement over the years. When when we launched new campuses, we always thought about like, oh, we're going to new places. Wow. And that's true. But actually, the the deeper truth behind it is we were releasing 
two-thirds of in most multi-sites it was two-thirds of the people we were releasing were brand new volunteers so i think multi-sites really important i think it's a good tool i don't think it's gone and gone anywhere but the deeper kind of thing behind that is how, what are we doing to engage more volunteers so if we're or when we're redoing this book and this you know this kind of thinking for sure an increased look at what are we doing to, to release more volunteers as a church growth tactic so it, it, i understand that it's a lots of other things it's a part of discipleship it's it's a part of you know deepening community it's all of those other things but if you can strip those out and take a step back you'll see that actually there's a there's a there's some church growth kind of uh, fuel behind all that if we if we just take, take some time to focus on it that's brilliant i i hope people have listened to this podcast long enough to hear that because that <laughs> that was gold you know the interesting thing about this this is one of those um so I, you know it was pre-pandemic and then particularly in the last couple of years that we've been talking with churches and working with churches it is one of those light bulb moments where people are like, oh my goodness, like I I see it. I see, it's like you've seen through, it's like the old matrix thing. <laughs> it's like you kind of see through one of those like, oh my goodness, like, and again, friends that are listening in, I would challenge you, f talk to your staff, talk to your people, you might know this number. What is the total number of people that are volunteering? So humans, like adults, people that are, that are volunteering, Typically, it's a one to three ratio. Typically, we're seeing, you know, if it's a church, it's and it's super sticky. A church of 750 people, they have 250 volunteers. Church of 1,000, they have somewhere around 300 volunteers, 350 volunteers. And so the question is, what can we do to add more volunteers in this coming year? What do we do to engage? How do we spend more time, effort, energy on that as a leading indicator of potential growth? That's so interesting because I think in every church conference room, in America, we're all sitting around thinking about, well, we need to deepen our people's faith journey. Mm -hmm. And the way they do that is they sacrifice time and they serve, when really that's a lead indicator for the inviting of, of people and the growth of your church on the other end. So that's fantastic. Well, and, I, you know, and I've seen this time and again, and you've seen this as you, know, you engage with um, fast-growing churches. The thing you, it's very hard to find a fast growing church that doesn't have a robust volunteer culture. It just, those two things are connected. Um, in fact, I remember years ago, I, I, um, I know some people may not love Elevation Church. They might not like Stephen Furtick. They're like, he's a, he's a quirky fellow, you know, he's, and it's a quirky church. But the thing that you cannot deny is, man, their volunteer culture, it is white hot. I remember 10 years ago, I was, went and visited one of their campuses and it was Saturday night, they were setting up at this, at their university campus. And it was, you know, there was a hundred people in this building setting this thing up. And then they're getting together after fired up, ready to go. Well, that's like an unstoppable force for trying to launch, you know, to try to make a difference in their community. And although I would contest, and I've said this privately in a lot of places, I would contest, obviously, Stephen's a very gifted communicator. Obviously their worship music is amazing. All, all that is true. I would say that actually their volunteer culture is at the core of why that church continues to have the impact that it has, because it have this incredible kind of way of getting people plugged in and that, that ultimately precedes growth, growth, <laughs> growth. <laughs> I thought that was Canadian for growth. Yeah. I don't, know that is, yeah. yeah I don't know where that came from. About, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So here's, here's what I want to close with. You, you're a, you listen to a lot of podcasts, you read a lot of books, give our listeners and me a few things to be reading or listening to that you think, man, this is really good. I'm not sure people know about this. Okay, that's good. That's a good question. A, a couple that, uh, a couple books that might be um, that I've read in the last year and a bit that are so that might be non-traditional. Church leaders are going to read in, and you're going to look at this book and be like, I'm not sure I should. Uh, I'm asking you to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. There's some stuff that you're not going to love. There's this guy, Phil Jones, that wrote this book, Exactly What to Say. Have you bumped into this book? No, no, I haven't. It's, so it's an in interesting book. It is, so he's kind of like a a sales trainer kind of guy. Like he's, and, and the, th the core insight that Phil has is um, we don't spend enough time thinking about the first things that, the first words that come out of our, our mouths. And so he, he says like, hey, think about all the things that are happening in your week. Um, you have a couple meetings. Everyone has a couple meetings every week that are like the most important meetings of their week. And we don't think about what exactly is the first things I'm going to say and how, how am I going to position that conversation so that it points in the direction that I want it to go from. And which I do think is a core insight. I do think that's true. I think there's like, I do I think about, hmm. hey, I'm going to talk to my daughter, you know, this weekend about this thing and 
what do I actually want to say in that conversation? What are the words that I want? And so this book, Exactly What to Say, really pushes us on that. It's also interesting because it is, so Phil has sold, and you'll, you'll appreciate this as an author, has sold, that book has sold, it's approaching 2 million copies, 1.75 million copies. And it's a self-published book, um, oh. and so which is almost unheard of. So, or it is unheard of. So, it's an interesting. That's you know kind of an interesting book. And then I I reread Richard Koch's book from twenty years ago this year, eight, the eighty twenty rule, mm-hmm. um, eighty twenty principle, which uh, so this you know this idea that you know eighty percent of your results are coming from twenty percent of your work. And so I've just told you friends the entire. Like that's what the whole book talks about. It takes, ironically, I, I did think this was kind of funny. I read the expanded edition, which does feel like it's going in the opposite direction of the book. It should have went, like it should have been like, what is the four page version of yes, this book? Like the 20%. Give me the, yeah, what is the 20%? It's a little bit ironic to me that he had an expanded edition. But but outside of that, you know what? That book, man, it is, I reread that this fall and it is consistent performer again. I'm like, man, it, even though I've told you the concept, there's nothing more than what I just told told you. 80% of your results come from 20% of what you do. Uh, go and apply likewise. And so, um, but it is, a, it's a it's a good book. I, you know, the other one, so this is not really, this is like a, I would say like an app. It's kind of like a, that's been fantastic, has been the, it's called Lectio 365. It's put on by that UK um, movement called the 24 prayer, 24 or seven prayer folks. Mm -hmm. And it is every day they provide two different kind of structured readings, one in the morning, one for the morning, one in the evening, and it's read to you. They, so they, they're, they're doing them for you and you're, you're listening in. That's like a tradition that I'm not from. That's not my background. Um, But I have found that to be just very accessible. Uh, It's, it's, it's been a very accessible tool for that, that spiritual habit of, okay, I'm going to slow down and and you know have a kind of a guided prayer time it's uh and it's completely free which is amazing and it's um you know they're and the 24 7 prayer folks are incredible they're they're great people so i know that'd be a couple resources if you're looking for just so in case people are like this guy's just giving all business examples i'm like no that's you know that's spiritual too that's good (laughs) yeah exactly rich this has been fantastic always great to talk with you it doesn't happen near often enough so looking forward (laughs) to uh doing this more but uh, really grateful for your time and helping our listeners out so much. So really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much, Rusty. Like I say, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you do. appreciate the podcast and, and just all everything that you do to help church leaders as well. Thanks for having me on. Well, pardon the pun, but that was so rich. I'm sure he's never heard that before. Reach out to him on social media. Tell him how much you appreciated it. And make sure that you check out his resources, his podcast, Unseminary. And make sure that you also... Uh, Share this with a friend. I know they're going to be blessed by it as well. Next week, we're back with brand new content. I'd tell you what it is, but I'd spoil the surprise. So make sure you join us next week on Simple Faith.